The Sermon on the Mount. Though it was delivered on the side of a hill one day in Israel, its power, truth, and simplicity have pierced through every century since. His divinely inspired words are not only timeless, they are timely for us. We hope you will join us as we walk through the Sermon on the Mount. Good morning. Merry Christmas. It's good to be in church. Hey, I want to make sure everybody knows this year, this will be our, our Advent book. We want to give every family uh, in our church a copy. Who's already got one of these? Would you raise your hand? Got a handful? Uh, out there in the back, uh, these are free for you to take. We're asking just one per family. Uh, this provides uh, a great resource, like a devotional, to use with your family uh, over the Christmas season uh, as we have a time of Advent, as we direct our eyes on uh, the Advent of Christ. And um, if you have your Bibles, let's turn together to the book of Titus. Uh, we uh, have taken a break from our study on the Sermon, of, uh, Sermon on the Mount, and uh, we are kicking off this Advent season next week. And I wanted to direct our attention to the book of Titus, chapter 2. And this morning, we are looking at one verse. Friday, we drove back from Dallas, all of our family, my family's in Dallas, and we drove back, and the one thing that my wife asked uh, was that I would get all the Christmas stuff down right when we got home. And so that's what we did. Um, went up, you know, and we have a conviction that we cannot set up Christmas stuff until after Thanksgiving. Who's with on that team? Who totally disagrees with that? A few, okay, so we're a divided church. It's all right. It's all right. We all know who's right. So, um, so yesterday, I uh, went up to the attic and started getting all of our Christmas stuff down and putting up the tree. And you know, Christmas is my favorite time of the year. Um, I love the season. And uh, man, as we look upon the month of December and think about everything that comes with Christmas, um, it's so easy for us to get lost in it. And uh, it's easy for us to worship the season and not the Savior. And uh, I believe that these passages that we're going to look at just helps to recalibrate us. Um, this morning. So if you would, let's turn to Titus chapter 2, beginning at verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Let me read that again. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you that you have loved us first and extended grace that we did not deserve. Lord, thank you for mornings like these where we get together as a church family to look at your word. I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts to see, that you would speak to us, encourage us, Correct us this morning. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. And as people said, Amen. This morning, I want us to consider 
the theme of grace. This verse that we have just read raises many questions. And I want to ask six questions this morning about grace. What does the Bible teach us? What is this grace that's up here? Where does it come from? What is it for? The first question that I want us to consider this morning is what is grace? The story goes that C.S. Lewis went into a pub and there were a group of men that were talking. They were having a discussion about world religions and Christianity. And they asked C.S. Lewis, what makes Christianity different than all other religions? He quickly replied to them, That's, that is easy. It is grace. Grace is the difference that separates Christianity from all other religions. If there was a sign above all other religions, that sign would say, do. If you want a fruitful life, if you want to be accepted, you must do these things. But Christianity is the direct opposite. That what Christianity says, if there was a sign above Christianity, it would say, done. Christ on the cross says these three important words, it is finished. Christ had accomplished the work of salvation. He lived the perfect life that we could not live. And Christ becomes the perfect Lamb of God that takes away our sins so that sinners can be reconciled back to God. Christianity is based on grace. Grace is unmerited favor. It's something that we do not deserve. Paul tells it this way in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The salvation that we received, we did not deserve it. It was a gift. That is what grace is. The second question I want us to ask regarding grace is, why the need for grace? The reality is, church, is that man is oblivious to the way that God views sin. Man is unaware of the problem. See, the creation story it begins in the garden. Man has perfect communion with God, but yet sin fractures that relationship. And Paul would tell us in, in Romans 5, therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. 
The Bible is clear about this problem. That all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. Paul tells us in Romans 3 verse 10 that there is none that is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. Sin has made every man and woman an enemy of God. We have become alienated from God as a result of our sin. The scriptures teach us that we are spiritually dead. Dead in our trespasses and sins. I imagine that there would be some that would say, well, man, Jonathan, we live a real moral life. Man, we, we are frequent at church and we give to charity and we, man, we're, we're moral people. And what the Bible teaches sheds some light on that. In Isaiah 64, 6, it says this, we have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. And even on our best day, even in our best actions, in our own, it does not meet the standard that God requires because he is holy. And so there is the need for grace. The reality of sin the reality that God despises sin. Years ago, I was teaching a Bible study at a community college. There was a young man at the end that was just standing by the door uh, waiting to talk to me. I could tell that he was troubled. He looked concerned. As I was walking out, he said, Jonathan, can I speak with you? And I said, sure, sir. What's going on? He said, can we, can we meet somewhere? And so a few days later, we, we met. So what's going on? He told me, I, I have trouble sleeping at night. I said, okay, well, I said, why do you have trouble sleeping at night? He says, because I am afraid of what will happen to me when I go home. I don't know what will happen. He asked me, what does the Bible tell say what happened to me? And so I began to share with this young man about the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the reality of eternity apart from God or eternity with God. We begin to read from the book of John, John 3, 36, which says this, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. I immediately saw his eyes open. It was as if, as if God's word became clear. He realized the reality of his sin and the consequence of it. The reality is death. For those that are not in Christ, those who have not embraced Christ, the wrath of God remains on them. That is why there is need for grace.
Because salvation could not be achieved on our own. We needed an outside intervention to step in. The scripture that we're looking at this morning, Titus 2.11, says this, for the grace of God has appeared. I want us to consider this morning. How did this grace originate? Question number three, how did this grace originate? Paul gives us this amazing truth and insight in 2 Timothy 1, 9 through 10. This is what it says. God saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. It was God who was rich in mercy. It was his purpose. It was his aim to demonstrate kindness. But when was this grace activated? Where did we see it first displayed? Look at what it says in that passage. Before the ages began, grace was decided. Just take a moment to think about that. To ponder the reality of your salvation that before the world was created, grace was decided. Paul tells, says it this way in Ephesians 1 verse 4, that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. We see grace at display. This is where grace originates. But question number four, how did this grace appear? Which brings us to this Christmas season. God intervened and he sent Christ to reconcile. This grace that appeared to us, grace is personified Grace is a person who is Jesus. The, the Jewish people, they were expecting their Messiah to come to be some kind of political leader. They imagined their Messiah would come in great glory and splendor and full of majesty. And yet he comes in such a different way. He comes lowly, without glory. Look at how Matthew one twenty three says it. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The Messiah, our Lord, he comes as a baby. Not in the glory and the majesty that was expected, but he is born in a stable, surrounded by animals. I love that the song Heart the Herald, there's a line there that says, says, Mild he lay his glory by. The beautiful story of Christmas is that our God humbled himself. 
He put on flesh. He put on a broken body and he submitted himself. The God who created all things, the one that is worthy of all glory and, and all power, he, he humbles himself and he, he comes to us as a baby. Just consider that. Early this morning, I was, I was changing our, our little baby boy, four weeks old. Just thinking how helpless a baby is. And our God, the creator of the universe, it has to have a, a mother to clean him and a mother to feed him. This is how the grace appeared to us. Emmanuel, God with us. He entered into our brokenness. He entered into our situation. Paul tells us in Philippians 2, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. We see this grace appear to us in the Christmas story in the form of a baby, Jesus, who is fully God, he is fully man, and he submits himself, and he humbles himself. And we see his grace not only at his birth, but we see this grace throughout his life and ministry. We see the compassion and the kindness that he demonstrates to those who are lowly and even to the proud, to the ones who have been mistreated to the ones who have been thrown to the side, we see him demonstrate grace to them. That was his, his love and his kindness on display. The fifth question I want us to consider this morning who is this grace available to? Which the scripture, Titus 2, raises up. Titus 2 11, the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. Now, th does this Bible verse teach universalism? It could, at first glance, it could look like that. Universalism is, is the belief that everyone will be saved. But that would be a misunderstanding of the verse because the scriptures are clear about how salvation is attained through repentance and faith. What Paul is saying in the book of Titus, chapter 2, verse 11, is that there is a universal invitation 
This grace that appeared, it is available to all. There is an offer of salvation that is extended to everyone. This offer should be preached to all people. This offer of salvation. It doesn't matter your social status. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It does not matter the events of your past. The invitation that Jesus gives is to all men, to all women. And it's God's desire to save. That is his heart to save. I want us to, to look at this passage from 1 Timothy. And whenever you read the word, all people, I want you to say it out loud, okay? Let's practice. All people, when you see it in the passage, I want you to say it out loud. This is 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 through 4. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for, for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That is the desire of God, to save. He is a God who wishes and desires that men and women would turn from their sins to embrace Christ. But there is, in 1 Timothy, two chapters later, a stunning verse. I want us to, to read it. 1 Timothy 4, 9 through 10. Let me just read all the people. I want you to say it out loud. Listen to this. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of especially of those who believe. This gift of grace that is free for every man and woman, regardless of past, regardless of skin color, regardless of social status, is available to all who can their sins and believe. Years ago, I was preaching at a, a college event. I was preaching on, on the gospel and the love of God to save. And there happened to be this Muslim girl that was at the event. I remember she, she grabbed my attention because she seemed so out of place in the event that I was speaking at. Afterwards, she, she pulled me aside she said, man, your God could never love someone like me. Because you have no idea the things that I've done. And I imagine that there would be some in here, maybe that would feel similarly. 
Chapin, you don't know the weight of my sin. I mean, this is, this is the beauty and the power of the gospel. The weight of the grace that appeared to us is sufficient to save you. What Christ has accomplished on the cross was enough as Christ is on the cross bearing the weight of sin, taking the full wrath of God to pay for your sins. The grace has, of God has appeared and to save all people who repent of their sins and believe in Jesus as the living God. We had a debt that we could not pay. And he paid a debt he did not owe. And that is the grace that has appeared to us. As we, we remind you of Christmas and everything that comes with it. I want to remind myself, I want to remind my family, I want to remind us to not get lost this Christmas. But to be reminded, joy to the world. The Lord has come. Grace has appeared to people who do not deserve it. It is grace. It is a free gift. You could not earn it. There was nothing you could do to achieve it. It's been granted to you who would believe what Jesus has done to pay for our sins. The final question I want us to consider. What did this grace achieve? We see it in Titus 2, verse 14. He says this, He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify himself a people for his own possession. We have been reconciled through the work of Jesus at the cross. And that's what we want to celebrate this season. The good news that grace has appeared. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this profound reality that the grace of God has appeared to save all men. It is something that we do not deserve. It is a free gift. We thank you, Jesus, that you humbled yourself, that you put on flesh. Lord, that though you were innocent, you paid the price for sin. 
And God, I pray that these words, this truth, would stir in our hearts a great affection for you. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org.